um, I want to have, a, I want to just cut straight to the heart of the issue today, okay? I want to have a heart-to-heart with all you guys, okay? And uh, we're going to talk actually about the idea of the heart, okay? And so specifically, uh, we're going to talk about the idea of heart surgery. And I think I, I scared one of our uh, dream teamers uh, this morning. They walked up to me and said, why is heart surgery so big up on the screen? Somebody like having heart surgery, not that I know of, okay? But maybe in a few minutes, we'll have a little heart surgery. Come on, y'all. So uh, I want to talk to you guys about the idea of the heart, uh, of heart surgery. Uh, how many of you guys have ever had uh, heart problems or you know somebody in your family who's had heart problems? Maybe you had to get hospitalized for heart issues before, anything like that. So uh, a, a few years ago, I want to say maybe like uh, 10, 12 years ago, my father-in-law, Pastor Terry, uh, was having some heart issues. Actually had to be in the hospital. And to be in the hospital with heart issues is bad enough. But he had to be in the hospital with heart issues on the night of the Saints playing the Vikings in the NFC Championship game. Y'all know the one with Brett Favre when he was on the Vikings that when the Saints were making their championship run and all that. And he had to be in the hospital with this dinky little TV, static lines running across it. And so my brother-in-law, Pastor Ben, and I, we just did what any good 20-something-year-old guys would have done. Was we went to Walmart and did a Walmart rental of one of those big old flat screens, all right? And we're walking down the halls of the hospital with that big old flat screen. Everybody's like, what are they doing? We plugged it in, and we had a good old time watching the Saints beat the Vikings. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And because we were 20-something years old, we brought the TV right back to Walmart. There we go. I don't advise you doing that, but anyways... uh, (laughs) Okay. Hey, I I'm being recorded right now. There we go. I'm, I'm, I'm in my 30s now, so I don't do things like that. But uh, anyways, we'll talk to, to you guys about the idea of the heart. So again, if you've had anybody ever hospitalized with heart issues or you've ever gone through heart issues or anything like that before, you guys know how absolutely uh, debilitating it can be. It affects so many different areas of your life. The heart is so incredibly vital, so incredibly important to just everyday function. Every single thing that we do can be affected by the heart. And actually, just since the time that I've been talking, since I started talking till right now, your heart has already pumped over five gallons of blood through your body. Think of like a gallon of milk and then get five of them, and your heart has pumped the equivalent of that of blood through your body that I've been talking, okay? And that adds up to over 2,000 gallons of blood every day that your heart pumps through your body, circulating oxygen, keeping your organs alive, keeping your limbs alive, keeping your muscles moving, 2,000 gallons worth that's moving through your body. The heart is important. Come on, y'all. The heart is incredibly important. And I kind of, I didn't mean to, but it's kind of perfect that it's dovetailing with Pastor Terry's message uh, last week on the precious blood of Jesus. Now we're talking about the heart issues this week. And what I want to talk to you guys about is the spiritual idea of the heart, okay? I'm not a cardiologist. I can't get up here and talk to you about ventricles and uh, arteries and atrium. I don't even know if that's the word, right? I'm not a cardiologist, okay? But I want to talk to you guys about the spiritual, the biblical idea of the heart. Because when the Bible talks about the heart, and it has a lot to say about the heart, when it talks about the heart, it's talking about the biblical definition, the idea of the heart. Now, in those days when the Bible, when the authors were talking about the heart, they were talking about this concept that they called the seat of life. 
the seat of someone's life, right? Where, where your life is enthroned, okay? It's the unseen part of you. It's, it's your soul. It's your mind. It's your emotions. It's your thoughts. It's your hopes. It's your dreams. That is your heart. And the Bible has so much to say about the heart. And what I want to do is take a look at this fundamental, foundational text on the heart from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 4. Uh, this is Solomon speaking, kind of embodying wisdom speaking to us. And this is what he says. My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. The words of wisdom, the word from God to us. He says, keep these words within, everybody say it, your heart. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them, and health to one's whole body. The same way the heart, the physical heart beats blood throughout your body to keep your body alive. Solomon is uh, speaking and he's saying, we need to have the word of God in our heart so deep that our spiritual heart is pumping the word of God, keeping our whole, our whole self alive. Keeping our soul alive. And this is what he says. These words, they are life to those who find them, health to one's whole body. And then look at what he says. And this is what we're going to key in on this morning. He says, above all else, and that's, it's such a churchy phrase, but look at what he's saying. Above all else, first thing first, before you do anything, before you brush your teeth in the morning, okay? Right? Before you do anything, before your head leaves the pillow, above all else, in the middle of the day, at the end of the day, at every waking moment, be thinking of this thing above all else. Prioritize it, write it down, put it everywhere, think about it at all times. Guard your heart. And why guard our heart? Because everything you do flows from it. Everything you do flows from it. Everything. Turn to my next you say everything. I want to pray and we'll continue on today. God, we just thank you, God, that your word is perfect. We thank you, God, that your word, God, you have given it to us to be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. God, you have given your perfect word of wisdom. And God, you have such an amazing desire and plan and purpose and love for us that, God, you give us your word of wisdom, God, that we could guard our hearts, that, God, that through it, God, we could have life and life more abundantly. We love you and we praise you. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. 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 So why in the world are we looking at the heart? Why in the world are we looking at that foundational scripture from the book of Proverbs? Because what I believe it reveals is when it says everything flows from it, is this. is when we come up with issues in life. And who who in here has got issues, okay? Throw your hands up. Anybody got issues? Okay. If you don't have your hand raised, you don't think you have issues, that's your issue, okay? (laughs) Right. Everybody's got issues, okay? But when issues come up, what I believe the Bible reveals, not just in the book of Proverbs, but all over the Bible, he says everything we do flows from the heart. And what that means is every issue is a heart issue. Every issue is a heart issue, right? There's so many times, when, like, when, when you're a parent and, like, your kid is growing up, right, and when they're, like, just six months old and they're just goo-goo-ga-ga and eyes wide open and you're just like, they're a perfect angel. 
They will never do wrong, ever. They're just so perfect. Oh, my goodness. And then the first time they ever tell you no. Or maybe the first time they lie. Or maybe they get a little older and the problems start getting bigger than just no and lying. But so many times it's very tempting for us to be like, they've got a, they've got a lying problem. Oh, they got, they've got such a problem with lying. Oh, they've, they've got such a problem with disrespect. Oh, they've got such a problem with this. Oh, they've got such a problem with this. And we focus in on, you know, that surface issue. And the same thing is true in all of our lives, right? Y'all, I've, I've got a really pro- bad problem about being lazy. I've got a really bad problem about, you know, just not staying true to my word. I've got a really bad problem about this. I've got a really bad problem with lust. I've got a really bad problem uh, with, with just falsifying stuff. I just, I have all the, I just got, I've got these bad problems. It's just this issue here, this issue there, this issue there. When do you get a heart attack? Let me ask you this question. When you get a heart attack, it's kind of like common knowledge, right, that sometimes, most times, you'll get that pain in the left side of your arm. I mean, the left arm. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Heard that before. The pain goes up your left arm. You get a little shortness of breath and everything like that. Now, let me ask you another question. If you're in the middle of having a heart attack, you feel that pain coming up your left arm. You feel that shortness of breath. How many of you guys are going to be like, I'm going to go to the, the freezer and get an ice pack for my arm right now. It's really sore right now. I'm going to get an ice pack for my arm. And you know what? I feel shortness of breath. I'm going to take a few minutes. I'm going to write out an exercise schedule. And because I'm feeling the shortness of breath, you know, I've really got this. It's a problem. I've really got it. No. You get your butt to the hospital, right? Because you're having a heart attack. Okay, you're having pain. You're having shortness of breath, but you got to fix the heart issue that's lying underneath it. And the same thing is true with every sin that comes in our life. Everything, how the writer of Hebrews says, every sin that holds us back, everything, every burden that wants to entangle us and hinder us and hold us back. It's so easy to focus on the surface thing, but the Bible says you've got to look at the heart. You've got to look at the heart issue. Okay, yes, you're lying, but why are you lying? Because if you're just focused in on the lying, okay, you're going to say, oh, maybe in this situation I won't lie. Maybe in this situation I won't. You've got to look at the heart issue of why are you, why are you doing it in the first place? You've got to fix the heart issue. Everything, the same is so true in the spiritual, just like with that heart attack issue. Every issue is a heart issue because the Bible says everything we do flows from the heart. And so what I would say is, you know, if you, have, if you ever had to go to the cardiologist, if you ever had a heart attack or anything like the main problem with the heart is this thing called blockages, right? You have some, some blockages. It's not allowing the life-giving blood to flow through your body because there's some blockages. What I want to talk to you guys today about is four of the main heart blockages, okay, in the spiritual Four main blockages. Because God wants to do something in your life. I don't know if you know that or not. God wants to do something in your life. And not only does God want to do something in your life, God wants to do something through your life. God wants, God, God has got such an amazing plan and purpose for your life. He, he wants to give you life and more abundantly. But sometimes we've got some blockages. Sometimes we've got some blockages. So I want to look at the first one. And we'll see what we can do to fix these blockages, all right? The first one is this. 
The first blockage is selfishness. Selfishness is the biggest blockage, I believe, of holding us back from what God has for us. Holding us back from the plan and the purpose that he has for us. Holding us back from walking out that purpose, living in joy, living in peace, living in hope. Selfishness holds you back more than anything else. Selfishness blocks us from the life that God has for us. Look at what, look at what James says in James chapter 3. It says, if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts. And I love that word, if you harbor it, right? Like a boat coming to harbor and it's just parked there. It's not going anywhere. If you let it just come, set down anchor in your heart and just park there. Because all of us feel envy sometimes. All of us feel selfish ambition. But what he's saying is, how, how many of us have let selfish ambition? How many of us have let envy? How many of us have let jealousy just set up anchor in the harbor of our hearts? He says, if we do that, if we do that, don't boast about it. Right? Like so many, uh, it's, it's 2023 America right now, okay? How many of y'all know that we have a problem with selfishness in America today, okay? We have a problem with selfishness. It says don't boast about it. Don't just brush it off. Don't say, yeah, I'm selfish. So what? But then he also says don't deny the truth. Don't deny the truth. Look at ourselves Look at ourselves. Look at whether or not we actually are being selfish. And when he's saying such earthly wisdom, in quotes, does not come down from heaven, but it's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Do you all catch that? The generation that's raising up in America right now has been labeled by some as the selfie generation, okay? And it's, it's so funny to ha-ha and laugh, but how much of us are we also in the same culture, walking in the same waters, right? And this is what he says. James is saying that selfishness, bitter envy and selfish ambition are not from heaven. They're earthly, unspiritual. They are demonic. Please, please, please hear me when I say this. This is not me. This is God's word saying that the devil would like nothing more than for you to just be 100% focused on yourself. And it's a heart blockage. If we want to live out the life of purpose and impact and integrity that God has called us to and has planned out for us since before time began, the Bible says, we've got to get rid of the blockage of selfishness. The devil would want nothing more than for us to be held back from God's plan and purpose for our life. To just be focused in on ourself and who we are and ourself and our hopes Ourself and our wants, ourself and our desires, ourself and our ambitions more than anybody else in our life. But look at what he says. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. James has got a very, very, very low view of selfishness. I don't know if you can see that or not. It's not just demonic, but from selfishness comes every evil practice. Some evil? No, says James. Every evil practice. It comes first, this heart issue of selfishness. That, again, 
Maybe your problem is lying, but maybe the whole reason you're lying over and over and over and over and over again is to protect, number one, yourself, right? So the heart issue of selfishness. I love what C.S. Lewis has to say about selfishness because some of you guys are sitting out there and you're like, not a problem for me because I think I am awful, okay? I think I'm the worst human being. I think I'm ugly. I think I'm, 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 I'm just... I'm so worthless and all these, that's not a problem for me. I am not selfish. I'm what C.S. Lewis has this amazing thing. He says, no, no, no. When the Bible says, don't think higher of yourself than you ought in the book of Romans, he's not saying just think of yourself as, you know, garbage and trash and you're awful. Because what he says is it's the devil's trick for you to, even if you obsess on how awful you are, you're still obsessing on yourself, <laughs> And so God doesn't want you to go around just thinking, I'm terrible, I'm awful, I'm the worst person ever, I'm just, I can't do anything right, and I'm ugly, and I I, I tried to shave my facial hair, but then it just looked funky, and I'm just, uh, you know, that's not what God wants you to do. That's not what God wants you to do. What C.S. Lewis says is this, the Bible calls us to selflessness, but he says selflessness isn't thinking less of yourself, selflessness is thinking of yourself Less. Such a beautiful picture. There's, there's even uh, a, a new best-selling book by one of my favorite pastors, and the title of it is The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. I love that. I love that. When it's all about Jesus, it's all about others, you put yourself last. I know it's kind of cliche, and we teach it to the kids in VBS, but joy is with Jesus, others, and then yourself. Jesus first, then others, then you can think about yourself. Jesus, others, yourself. J-O-Y, joy. I love that. It's the beauty of self-forgetfulness, the freedom of self-forgetfulness. What we need to do to get rid of the blockage of selfishness is we need to move from selfishness to humility. Somebody, Somebody say humility. Move from selfishness to humility. Matthew 16, 25, Jesus says, Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. And just because it's a paradox doesn't mean it's not true. Anybody who has lived out this principle in their life can tell you it is an uncontrovertible truth of the universe that this is true. That when we lose our life for Jesus, when we forget about ourselves and it's all about him and it's all about others, whoo. Do we feel that life flowing through our veins? Move from selfishness to humility. The next blockage I want to look at is the blockage of bitterness. The blockage of bitterness. This is a tough one. If you've ever been hurt by somebody, this is a tough one. And look, if you're even feeling bitter right now, it might be like you got a bruise and I'm just like rubbing my finger in it, all right? But please listen to me. Please listen to me. Please listen to me. Bitterness can be a blockage of the heart. Bitterness can be a blockage from what God wants to do in you and through you in your life. Bitterness is a blockage. The book of Proverbs says in chapter 18, it says, A brother wronged is more unyielding than a fortified city. A brother wronged is more unyielding than a fortified city. You know, some people can just brush off mean comments, right? Y'all know those people in life who, like, just, they don't care what people think? They're like superheroes, right? They're just like, what? 
Did you hear what they said? Yeah, it don't matter. It's not a big deal. But some people, when somebody says even the smallest thing about you, like, oh, you got new shoes. Be like, did you not? Did you not like them? Did you you like the old ones better? Or like, oh, they think I'm the and then but even still, I'm talking about not not even just the intentional or the unintentional, but the intentional. When somebody's actually really truly hurt you, not just some small comment, but I'm talking about when somebody you gave everything to, you committed to them, and they broke your heart. They stabbed you in the back when they were the person who was supposed to be lifting you up. You feel this bitterness in you. And it, I just, I, I have to say that this is one of those things that's just very understandable because it's, it's something that actually happened. It's real. It's, it's, not, it's not an idea. If you're feeling bitterness, if you're experiencing bitterness even right now, it's real to you. It's not an idea. It's not a theory. It's part of your life that has happened. And it's so natural for us as human beings to just hold on to bitterness. Because you've been hurt. And you feel like bitterness is a shield. Right? You feel like, oh, they've hurt me. I'm just going to leave up that wall of bitterness. I'm never going to forgive them. I'm never going to let that leave my mind. Never again. And it sounds, sounds strong. Right? You're putting up a wall, just like the writer of Proverbs says. We're putting up a wall. It sounds strong. But if you've ever read any history about siege warfare or anything like that, yes, they would put up those big walls. Yes, they would fortify the city. Yes, they would keep out the enemy. Yes, they would keep out the hordes that were coming in to hurt them and destroy them. But man, inside the city, nothing good could get in either. The people would starve. Yes, no evil could come in, but no food could come in. No water could come in. People would die of thirst. People would die of hunger because they had that that wall up. And the same is true for us today. We put up that wall. You say, I'm never going to trust anybody ever again. You say, they wronged me. I'm never going to forget about it. I got to protect myself. But don't you realize that when you say, I'm never going to forget about it, it means you're thinking about it every day. It means this person has you captive still. They can still be walking around, minding their own business, doing their own thing. And here you are at two o'clock in the morning in a cold sweat, just like shaking in rage. They've got you captive. And Jesus preaches to us over and over and over and over and over again. You have to forgive. How many times do I forgive, they asked him. Seven times? No. Seven times, 70 times. Keep forgiving and keep forgiving and keep forgiving and keep forgiving. When you forgive them, you're releasing the debt. You're erasing them off the ledger book in your life. You don't got to look at their name anymore. You've forgiven. You've moved on. It's the only way to move away from bitterness. It's the only way to move on from bitterness. Because bitterness is a blockage. I've heard it said one way. That bitterness is setting yourself on fire and hoping the other person dies from breathing in the smoke. We got to move from bitterness to forgiveness. 
When they asked Jesus that question, how many times should I forgive my brother when he wrongs me? Jesus gives that answer seven times, 70 times, but no. Then he goes on to, to paint this beautiful picture of this story of a king who had a servant. And the, the number that Jesus gives, he says, this servant was indebted to the king. And the number that Jesus gives, it's, uh, it's thousands of, of uh, 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 I, I converted it to the English modern day. Basically, he was saying that this man had run up so much debt against the king that it was the equivalent to 200,000 years of wages. Does everybody catch that? If you make $60,000 in America, I'm being conservative here, okay, right? $60,000 a year here in America, that would equivalent to $12 billion of debt wiped away. And this man is, before he's forgiven, he's at, he's at the, on his knees before the king, just begging and pleading, please forgive me my debt. Please forgive me my debt. He's begging. And the king is moved to compassion and he forgives him. And then Jesus paints this picture. He says, then that servant went out right after he'd been forgiven the $12 billion of debt. And he ran into another one of his fellow servants who owed him a few hundred dollars. And it says he became just absolutely enraged and forced him to pay him back. It says he even choked him. He was so mad that this man owed him a few hundred dollars. And this is the picture that Jesus says, you have been forgiven of so much. (laughs) So must we also forgive. The Bible says that it is our sins that nailed the Son of God to the cross. The blood of the God who created the whole universe was shed because of us. And yet we can't bring ourselves to forgive those who have hurt us. And this is the beauty of Jesus' story as well. It's a few hundred dollars. It's not a small amount. I mean, it's, that's still money. That's still something. Something did happen. Something was owed. Jesus isn't saying that if you're bitter, oh, just, it, it never happened. Oh, you're, you're, you're just making too big a deal of it. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's like, no, no, it's an actual debt. But you still have to forgive anyways. You've got to live in freedom because we've already been forgiven of so much. The only way to forgive is to realize how much we've been forgiven of. Forgiveness comes from forgiveness. When we realize how much we've been forgiven. We've got to move past the blockage of bitterness to freedom. Move from bitterness to forgiveness. And the next blockage I want to look at is this blockage called rejection. This blockage of rejection. I know that the world is evil. I know that people do wrong. I know that it's not perfect. And I know some of you guys, maybe even when you were younger, you had somebody speaking words over you that you just... It was, it was like they just took a big old label maker and they just typed out stupid. They typed out incompetent. They typed out ugly. They did whatever and they just smacked it on your forehead and you walked through the rest of life. Rejection hurts. And the Bible even says in Proverbs chapter 18, the tongue has the power of life and death. I'm not going to deny that 
There's amazing parents. There's amazing people who, uh, role models who come in and they lift us up and they speak over us. But I'm not going to deny that there's also the flip side of that coin. Some people could come in and just hurt you, whether it's, whether it's parents or whether it's relatives, whether it's a bully at school, whatever it is, some rejections just come in and we let them just set up shop in our hearts. We let them beat us down over and over and over again, whatever those words are. And sometimes they've even come from maybe something you've done. Those are the ones that hurt even the worst. Those are those words of rejection. We just keep living them over and over again like a movie in our mind. Someone's called us stupid. Someone called us incompetent. Someone called us whatever. But let me just tell you right now. If you are walking around with one of those labels, I want to tell you right now that that label is not from God. That label is a lie straight from the pit of hell. And if we're going to move past the blockage of rejection, so I'm going to tell you what, if God is saying, I want you to go reach the nations, but you answer to God, I can't do that, God, I'm just a loser. I'm not talking about self-esteem right now. I'm talking about truth. We've got to move from rejection to the words of life. What did we say in Proverbs chapter 4 at the very beginning? Listen to my words because they are life to those who hear them. What does God's word say about you? What does it say? Ephesians 2.10 says we are God's masterpiece. We are his handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do those good works, to do that purpose, to, to walk out the plans that he has for us, to reach the nations, to reach the people at your work, to do these things, to preach Jesus through the way you live your life, with your words, whatever it is, to shine the light of God in the darkness of this very dark world. You're not a loser. You're not incompetent. You're not stupid, right? If anybody's stupid in this room, okay, I know that I'm with you, okay? And God still somehow uses me, all right? Because I know that I may be stupid, but I am his masterpiece. I am God's masterpiece, okay? I am his masterpiece. He says in Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. I know the plans I have for you. If you go up against God's word and God's plan and God's purpose with some label that some human has given you or some devil or some demon has given you, I'm going to tell you what, God's word is going to break it every single time. Because he says, I know the plans I have for you. I know exactly what I've called you to do. I don't care what they said about you. I know the plans I've got for you. They're plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and plans to give you a future. Move from rejection to the words of life. Move from rejection to the words of life. Let the word of God get down so deep in your heart that it's just like the blood pumping uh, pump, through your veins, right? It's that blood pumping through your veins, giving your soul life. I love that. Isaiah 43.1, but now, Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. Oh, Israel, the one who formed you says, do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Whoever spoke those words over you, you're not theirs. They didn't create you. They didn't form you in your mother's womb. God knows every hair on your head. 
God knows every second of your life. He knows every breath you take. He says, you are mine, and this is what I have to say about you. I love you so much that I would shed my blood for you. The God who created the universe. Move from rejection to the words of life. And the last one here, the evil thoughts. Evil thoughts. This one sounds scary, right? Evil thoughts. But when I talk about evil thoughts, I talk about kind of the concept of the fact that our brain is kind of like a hard drive. You know what I mean? Your brain's kind of like a hard drive. When I say evil thoughts, I'm talking about all those memories that, again, you just kind of replay in your mind. All those, those experiences that you did that you know you shouldn't have done, the images that you've seen, the, the songs you've heard, whatever it is that just keeps coming back up and the devil is, you know, like your brain's a hard drive and he's just kind of clicking around in there, pulling up the ones to play that he knows are going to just keep you back and keep you feeling guilty, keep on tempting you, keep on trying to bring you down. And they're, again, they're real. Look at what Jesus says in Mark chapter 7. He's saying it's from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from within and they defile a person. Jesus is saying it's not whether you eat this kind of food or that kind of food. It's the thoughts of your heart that come out that will defile you and make you unclean. They will separate you. They will pull you further from the plan and the purpose that God has for you. They are there. They are real. But then, I want us today to move from those evil thoughts to cleansing. Some of you guys are like, okay, it's a memory. It's a memory. Like, how in the world? I don't know how God does it, but I'm going to tell you. You keep on coming to God with whatever evil thought it is. Look at what he says in 1 John 1, nine. If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. To cleanse us, to cleanse us, to cl- not just to wipe it off the ledger, but to cleanse you of that wickedness, to cleanse you of that unrighteousness. I don't know how God does it, but God, if you bring whatever that evil thought is before God, he has a way of just wiping that hard drive clean. He has a way of, of, of taking that, that thought pattern that comes up and altering it, changing it. Every single time, you're like, it's just a path. I think Maybe I see this image, maybe I think that thing, and then before I know it, I've done some stupid sin again. But do you see the beauty of what it says in 1 John 1, 9? It says, if we confess our sins to him. What do you have to do if you're confessing your sins to God? What are we doing? We got to approach him. You see that? What What happened in the very beginning in the book of Genesis? It was the very first sin. When Adam sinned, he did the one thing God told him not to do. What did he do with his sin? As soon as he sinned, what did Adam do? He went and hid. He ran from the presence of God. Don't you see the beauty of the new covenant? Don't you see the beauty of Jesus as our high priest? He walked with us. He's lived amongst us. He knows. He was flesh and blood. There is a human being who is God sitting on the throne right now that we bring everything to. And he says, when you sin, when you sin, what do we do? We confess. We come straight to God. We don't have to be scared of God because of our sin. 
Do you know that when Jesus died on the cross, right? When you gave your life to Jesus and he forgave you and he cleansed you and he made you new, he saved you, he made you a child of God. He said, your future is in heaven. Your eternity is in heaven. That the next time you sinned, Jesus wasn't up on the throne. And he was like, what? Y'all know that? When Jesus died on the cross, he died for all your sins, past, present, and future. They are forgiven. They're forgiven. Your slate is clean. But I'm going to tell you what, we have to walk out that forgiveness. And the devil wants to use these evil thoughts because our body is still a body of flesh. We still carry around the sinful nature with us, right? We, we are putting the flesh to death daily. Jesus says, crucify yourself every day. Pick up that cross every single day. Crucify the flesh. And the way we do that is by when we sin, do we do like Adam and run away? No, 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 no. We go straight to God. God, I just had this thought. Cleanse me, God. God, I just, I don't know where this image came from. It just popped up. God, I I need you to cleanse me right now, God. I know you've already forgiven me. You already died on the cross. You love me so much. I'm not going to run from you. I'm going to run to you. And when I confess, you are faithful. You are just. You forgive me. You cleanse me of not some unrighteousness, not some wickedness. God, you cleanse me of all unrighteousness and all wickedness. If we're going to move from evil thoughts to cleansing, I love what it says in Psalm 51. David, after he had cheated with Bathsheba, he had killed her husband so that he could have this woman. And he's confronted with his sin by the prophet Nathan. He was the king of Israel. The prophet came up to him and told him, David could have said, off with your head, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. But he wrote the book, he wrote chapter Psalm 51. And it's just this broken hearted man. The most powerful man in Israel. And he's broken before God. God, wash me whiter than snow. I know I've sinned and I've sinned against you, God. And in Psalm 51, 7, he says, cleanse me. Cleanse me. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. God, if you do it, not if I try and do it myself, but God, if I run to you and let you do it, you can cleanse me. So here's the big question that's underneath all these things we said. We said we're moving from selfishness to humility. We're moving from bitterness to forgiveness. We're moving from rejection to words of life. We're moving from evil thoughts to cleansing. But David's heart in Psalm 51, 7 shows us what that question is. And that is, How do we do that? How do we have this heart surgery today? How do we do it? Because if all you do is listen to the words that I said so far, and you're like, okay, I'm going to be more humble when I leave. Thanks. Awesome. Or you're like, okay, I'm I'm really bitter. I'm going to try harder to be forgiving. Uh, Okay. Uh, They they spoke those words of rejection. I'm going to try and try and remember and be better and, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and not think all the evil thoughts. I'm just going to try, 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 try really hard. 
It's like going to your cardiologist and they say, you've got blockages here, 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 and here. We need to do surgery. And then you say, okay, doc, I brought a scalpel. Just tell me, I'm going to go home. Just tell me, you know, aroundish where I need to cut. You know, I've got, you know, a selfie camera and I'll just kind of like try to get in there. It's ridiculous. You can't do it. If you've ever been into surgery, maybe a major surgery before, how helpless did you feel in that moment? I'm putting my life in their hands right now. But I need them to do something that I could never do. Maybe you've got one blockage. Maybe you've got all four. Maybe you've got some I didn't even talk about today. I'm going to tell you what. You can never, you on your own can never do the heart surgery. David goes to God. He says, God, you cleanse me. You cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. How do we have that heart surgery? Look, he says it in Ezekiel chapter 36. I will give you a new heart, says the Lord. I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. This is the way you were created to be. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees. Be careful to keep my laws. How do we do this surgery? How does God put this new heart in us? It's like real world heart surgery. You just got to open your heart up to the one who can do it. You got to stop kidding yourself. You got to stop lying to yourself that the problem's not really there. You've got to be authentic and open before God. If anybody could be just lying about the problem, it was David, the king of Israel, and saying, I'm the king. Obviously, God has no problem with the way I conduct myself. I got the crown. I'm good. But when he was confronted with his sin, the Bible shows us why David was a man after God's own heart. Not because he was sinless, but because when he sinned, he brought his sin to the Lord. He said, I know I can't fix this, but God, you can cleanse me. You can make me clean. It's only you. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18 says this. Now the Lord is the spirit Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Everybody say freedom. And he says this, and we all with unveiled faces, take the mask off. Quit pretending with God. With unveiled faces, we behold the glory of the Lord. And because we behold him, we are being transformed to be more like him. How do we be cleansed? How do we have this heart surgery? We take another look at God, at Jesus, what he did on the cross, who he is and what he says about us, what he feels about us and what he's done for us already. And we are changed, the Bible says. When David says, cleanse me with hyssop, when he's talking, what is hyssop? There's a branch that they had in the Old Testament. And the way that they would purify the things, the priests would purify the things, they would take that hyssop, they would dip it in the blood of the lamb. So when we come to God and we say, cleanse me with hyssop, no, we're saying, God, you, not just some lamb, the lamb, the precious blood of the lamb that Pastor Terry talked about last week. God, you went to the cross for me. You bled for me. God, the gospel is not kindergarten and then we move on to bigger things. No, the gospel is everything. 
Jesus on the cross is what cleanses us. When we behold the glory of the Lord, what is the glory of the Lord? What is God famous for? He's famous for His goodness, for His love, for His mercy. It's shown on the cross. When we behold Him, we behold what He's done for us. When we see that instead of being selfish, God poured out His blood and was the absolute epitome of selfless for us, for me, for you. It moves me to selflessness. When I look at the cross and I see that God wasn't bitter because of every time I sinned against him. But when he had every right to put me to death, instead he took the nails for me and forgave me to the point of death on the cross. It moves me from bitterness to forgiveness. When I see, when I see Jesus on the cross, breaking every word of rejection that was ever spoken over me. God saying, hey, The world might have said you're stupid. The world might have said you're incompetent. The world might have said that you're this, you're that. You're so precious to me. I would shed my blood for you. I would die on the cross for you. It moves me from rejection to the words of life. When we look at the blood that was shed for us so that we could be cleansed, why would we ever run from a God who would do that? Why would we ever just keep on hiding our whatever thought that comes in your mind? Bring it straight to the God who's already shed his blood for it. The only way to have this heart surgery is to open our hearts up to the surgeon. So I want to bow our heads and ask everybody in the room, just bow your head and close your eyes this morning. If you're in this room and maybe this is your first time or maybe, maybe you, you know, you got brought up in church and you strayed from God lately. And whatever it is that you... You need the heart surgeon. You need God, the great physician, to forgive you and cleanse you and make you new. If you need to give your life to Jesus for the first time or recommit your life to the Lord, our church is committed to every Sunday praying this prayer with whoever wants to pray it. We will pray it out loud. You will not be singled out. This is between you and God. But if you want to pray that prayer, every head is bowed, every eye is closed. If you want to pray that prayer this morning and recommit your life to Jesus, have him forgive you, have him give you new life. I just ask, wherever you are at in the, in the room this morning, nobody's looking around, I ask you to just raise your hand. Take a few moments to give you time if you want to raise your hand. That's awesome. Thank you, Jesus. I want to ask everybody in the room, we're going to pray this prayer. And we're going to pray it out loud to help the ones who raise their hands. And it's not the words of the prayer that save us. It's the the heart of faith reaching out to God. Jesus has already paid the price. We're accepting his gift in this prayer. So everybody in the room, pray these these words out loud. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for forgiving me. I believe you died on the cross for me. And I believe you rose again so that I could have new life. I confess you're the Lord of my life and I give my heart to you. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. Can you put your hands together for those who prayed that prayer in the room or online with us this morning? Before we go real quick, I just want to pray over all of us as a whole congregation, everybody watching it online uh, before we get dismissed. God, we just thank you, Lord, of who you are, that you are the great heart surgeon. 
God, that you loved us so much that, God, you saw us in our sin and you didn't leave us in our sin. God, that you had a greater plan and a greater purpose since before time began. So, God, I pray that in all our hearts, God, we could commit to beholding you more. God, that we would, we would see you. God, we would chase after you with our whole hearts. God, so that we can move from all these heart blockages and live out the plan and the purpose that you have for us to shine your light everywhere we go, to bring more people to you, to be forgiven, made new, that marriages could be healed, that God, that addictions could be broken, that sins could be forgiven. God, we thank you that we get to play some small part in what you're doing here in Baton Rouge and around the world. We love you. We praise you today. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Can everybody say a good amen this morning? Put your hands together for Jesus again today. Amen, amen. Hey, thank you guys so much for being with us today. Thank you guys. Y'all be blessed, and we will see you guys next Sunday.